It's really a delight to share with you today and to worship with you week after week. Much of my work at Tyndale takes place behind the scenes. So I love being together in community, in worship, and I actually like looking around and seeing your faces. I love students. It's a real joy for me to have worked with them for many years of my life, and I love especially seeing God at work in your lives, right before my eyes, from the day you come into this place until the day you walk across that graduation stage. The focus of chapel in these weeks is on God's global vision for the church. And it struck me that that vision, that commitment to God's mission in the world has been part of Tyndale's DNA ever since its inception in 1894. That's 117 years ago. They were talking about it in chapel then, and here we are a century later, a century later talking about it again. Some of you may or may not know this, but Tyndale began in part catalyzed by a vision, by a visit, pardon me, of the great missionary statesman Hudson Taylor who came to Toronto. There were universities at that time in Toronto preparing what was called a learned clergy. But our predecessors of this school wanted something more. They wanted that and more. They wanted a school that would prepare the whole people of God. Not only clergy, which when you think of it make up a tiny percentage of God's people, but all of God's people, lay people, ordinary people, we might say. Women and men. This was very unusual at that time in history. To prepare God's people to be, and this is a quote, city, home, and foreign missionaries. I kind of like that threefold distinction, that threefold category. And when I think about the new Tyndale, the next chapter in Tyndale's history, when we move, when we see where God will lead us, I like to think we can hold on to that historic vision, that we'd continue to be a community of God's people, regular, ordinary people from all walks of life, called to prepare ourselves to participate in God's mission in this city in this country that has become as great a mission field as ever there was, and in the world. In your own lives, your participation in God's mission might end up in one of those spheres. In my case, to my surprise, I ended up in all three at different points in time. I began my early career as a social worker in the housing projects of Toronto. I then spent nearly a decade living and working in the interior of Indonesian Borneo, a place where I thought I'd spend my life. But through circumstances not of my choosing, I end up back in Canada, and I end up working in a university and living in suburbia, a place I swore I would never live. And I'm a commuter like thousands of others with terrible commute. But you know what I've come to realize through these 
what sometimes feel like very disparate chapters, is that being a participant in the mission of God isn't about location. It's about moving into a location, whatever location God places you, with a missional purpose. I absolutely love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of uh, John of incarnation found in John 1:14. It says, "The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood." I love that. I like that definition of incarnational ministry. Moving into the neighborhood, wherever that neighborhood is going to be, in the city, in Canada, around the world. And when we move in, we begin conversations with people. I thought of entitling this message, Mission as Conversation. But I don't mean to oversimplify. But sometimes I get, I don't know, fearful, worried that in all of the thousands of volumes that have been written on mission and evangelism, the strategies, the programs, the conferences and consultations, the training programs, we can sometimes complicate something that is actually very, very simple and fundamental. Mission is having conversations. I've been quite fascinated. I've made a study of the conversations of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. So yes, the Gospels are full of stories of miracles and teachings, and you know them. But over and over again, what draws my attention is the conversations Jesus has. We see accounts of how people's lives get changed dramatically by conversations with Jesus. So what I'm proposing today is just one way to think about participating in God's mission, and it's this. Move into the neighborhood and start having conversations. That's something regular, ordinary people like us can do. The text that was read for us today from John 4.14 is just one of many conversation accounts. This is an account of Jesus having a conversation with the woman at the well. It's a story of an encounter, a conversation that takes place in the regular, ordinary course of everyday life. Jesus is walking on, is going for a walk, a long walk. He's on a journey to Galilee, and he meets someone along the way. This is just an everyday encounter, a conversation in regular life, but it's a life-giving conversation. It's also a conversation across difference. The Gospels record many conversations Jesus had with his disciples, but this one is a conversation between Jesus and someone who seems that we would be able to probably describe as completely and totally and utterly different from Jesus. It was a cross-cultural encounter And these cultural differences at that time weren't just benign celebration of diversity. There was a historic, volatile animosity between Jews and Gentiles, pardon me, Jews and Samaritans that had been smoldering 
for 400 years and more. There were, it was a conversation across gender differences. And again, that's something we might treat as minor right now in our day and age, but not so then. A strict rabbi in those days did not speak to women in public. Even to his own wife or daughter or sister, it could be the end of his reputation. It was also a conversation across social difference. Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi, a holy one. And she was a marginalized woman drawing water alone at midday, a woman, as they say, with a past, a woman with a history of broken relationships, a woman we don't even know her name. I love this picture we get of Jesus. Jesus in the course of an ordinary day, Jesus in a seemingly chance encounter, Jesus in unfriendly Samaria, where he was not an insider, but an outsider. Jesus breaking social conventions, not caring about his reputation. Jesus looking past social, cultural, gender differences. And it's he who starts the conversation. This passage is so rich in insights to mine. But I just want to highlight for us, for our reflection today, three, three characteristics of this conversation that I think we can learn from. The first is this. Jesus shows his humanness in this conversation. Jesus is bone tired. If you'll let me say it, he's sweaty. He's weary. He's thirsty from a long, long journey in the heat of the day. His full humanity is on display. And Jesus starts the conversation by asking her for help, for a favor, for a drink. And why this just strikes me as significant is that right from the beginning, this seems to be an authentic encounter an authentic conversation. I get worried because I think one of the big myths we've often bought into in the church is that in order for Christians to be a compelling witness, we need to be what I call pressed and dressed for success. We need to be the epitome of victorious living and hide our neediness, hide our ordinariness. But Jesus begins this conversation by leveling the ground, by saying, in, the fact, in effect, I have a need. I'm thirsty, and I need you to give me water. But he knows that she, too, has a need, a need for living water. This is a, an authentic, a reciprocal, a mutual conversation. I learned more about this when I moved to Indonesia, I was taught by very wise and very godly um, instructors on Bahasa Indonesia, uh, the Indonesian language. Our first lessons were learning how to start a conversation. Every single day for a year, we would have lessons in the morning 
And every single afternoon, we were compelled to go out and have conversations with people. We had to log them. How many? There was a quota. I forget what it was. That became a pattern for missionary life for me, actually. Going out every day and trying to engage people in conversations. But what's interesting were the very first words that we were taught about how to begin a conversation. It was this. Ma'af ibu, saya masi bodo, tolong la saya. And here's what it means. I'll translate literally. Forgive me. I'm a very stupid person. (laughs) Will you help me pronounce this word, find the way, show me how to choose a pineapple, uh, tell me the name of this particular thing I've never seen in my life, help me understand what's going on here, over and over again, every single day, saying, I am very stupid. (laughs) but they were teaching us more than vocabulary. They were teaching us how to start a conversation from a position of humility and weakness and need, especially as a Westerner, not to be starting this conversation from strength and knowledge, but from need. This makes the walls come tumbling down, and Jesus knew that. The second characteristic of the conversation that strikes me is that Jesus speaks to her heart, not only to her head. Twice in this narrative, the woman tries to draw Jesus into a theological debate. In verse 10, when Jesus says, if you knew who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she shoots back with a challenge, a hook for a debate. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? He doesn't fall for the hook. But this was important to her. The Jews denied that Jacob was the father of the Samaritans. So she's up for a challenge on this. Who do you think you are? In verse 20, again, she entices him into another possible debate. We could call this the worship debate. Ever heard of such a thing? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. There's the setting for another debate. And this is a conversation that could have gone on for hours. For many of us in higher education, students and faculty and those who work here, Nothing is quite as delicious as a great debate, a great intellectual, theological debate on some topic. And indeed, that's one of the things we get trained for, right, in university and seminary, how to engage in debate, how to mount a reasoned, sustained argument, how to find holes in another's argument, how to make your case. I actually like that stuff, but as someone once said to me, and I've never forgotten it, Janet, you're suited for the academic life, but don't get seduced by the academic life. And I say it to all of you. We're reminded in this conversation that we will never be able to argue someone into the kingdom of God. 
And although there are certainly important times when uh, debates are so right, Jesus, just in this conversation, didn't choose to go that way, didn't get drawn into an argument with her. And why? Because he knew that that wasn't the most important, the central thing for this woman at this point in time. All of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, it seems like out of the blue, he says, go and call your husband. It's like, where did that come from? They're talking about where to worship on this mountain or that mountain. But Jesus knew that what mattered for that woman that day was not the intellectual debates, but that she had had this history of broken relationships. She'd been through five husbands and was currently living with another man. And we don't have a lot of detail about her story. But one thing I'm sure is clear. You can't go through that without experiencing some deep pain and woundedness and rejection without sinning and having being sinned against. And that was the most important thing in that woman's life. And so Jesus moves the conversation from her head to her heart. And some people say that's the longest 12 inches in the world. One of my great role models in my life was a professor of missions at Gordon-Conwell. His name was Dr. Christy Wilson. He and his wife um, cared for a, a group of us who were looking towards overseas mission. But Christy and his wife had worked in, in Afghanistan for many, many years, and they had moved into the neighborhood with their Muslim neighbors. For years and years, they did not see fruit, one might say. This was a man with a brilliant intellect. He knew all the debates about Christianity and Islam. But this is what he said, words I've never forgotten. In all my years, I never saw a single Muslim come to Christ, except through the sacrificial love of a friend. Moving from the head to the heart. Thirdly, in this conversation, we see that Jesus can speak truth without condemnation. And I think that's one of the most difficult things in the Christian life, speaking truth, loving much, together. Jesus doesn't shrink from the truth, something we're inclined to do, aren't we, in conversations. He lays it clearly on the line her repeated pattern of failure and sin in all these relationships. But somehow, I think about what was it. It must have been in his voice, in his manner, in the way he was speaking. Somehow this woman experiences acceptance, not condemnation. He offers her hope, hope that her parched and thirsting soul can be satisfied with living water. It doesn't destroy her. It mobilizes her, energizes her, excites her, gives her hope. Speaking truth, loving much, these are the components interwoven in God-like conversations, among the hardest things we can ever do. So what's the outcome of this conversation on an ordinary day? This Samaritan woman whom some might say was the least likely imaginable 
candidate for conversion, recognizes Jesus as Messiah. Some even call her the first missionary because she ran back to her village and told many others there about Jesus. And verse 39 says, many Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This is the ripple effect of a God-centered conversation. So in conclusion, one way to think about mission, participating in the mission of God, moving in to your neighborhood with a missional purpose, starting conversations with those around you, Go in peace, my brothers and sisters, into this day, this ordinary walking around everyday life, and start conversations. Any one of us can do that, and it could change everything.